Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the ninth episode of Coding Fix. If this is your first time joining us, hey, nice to have you here. My name is Alex, and I will be your host today. If you've been with us and experienced our show before, welcome back. Very glad to see you again. This show, Coding Fix, is all about code. And these first handful of episodes, which is kind of turning into a relatively large handful, uh, is all about what is involved when you're getting started on your coding journey. We've talked about a lot of knowledge that you should be considering, and the kinds of things you should learn, how you should go about learning them, and just some general advice for some of the directions and trajectories you should take as you're getting started. Now, today's episode is going to be a bit more in the informational realm. Our topic is going to be about one of the biggest hurdles that you'll end up encountering with your professional career as a coder, and unfortunately, it's a step that you're going to have to take if you ever want to work at an existing company. And that is the coding interview. The coding interview is a dreaded and cursed ceremony, and Honestly, that sentiment is pretty true amongst pretty much every coder I've ever met, uh, myself included. Almost no one enjoys coding interviews. They're stressful, they're anxiety-inducing, and they're difficult. Now, there are some strategies that people use to try and make them go just a bit smoother, and we will talk about those. But first, I'd like to give you a bit of a walkthrough of what to expect if and when you're going into one of them. And for what it's worth, one of the reasons I feel comfortable giving insights and context into what these interviews are like is because, well, I've spent a lot of time on both sides of them. I have been interviewed a lot, and I have interviewed a lot. I've been interviewed at small places like startups, as well as big places like Microsoft or GitHub, Shopify, and some others. And When I was on the hiring side, I went through just the whole process from writing the job posting, taking in and reviewing resumes, looking at portfolios, writing the coding questions for our interviewees, and of course, sitting down and interviewing the candidates themselves. But let's start by talking about what happens when you find yourself in an interview. Actually, no. Let's go one step before that and talk about what is generally expected when you apply to a position. Because you can't get to an interview without having applied. Well, you know, maybe there's an exception or two to this. Like, if you're going to do it through a recruiter or a school, or, you know, you already know someone there, but whatever. But the majority of the time, you're going to have to apply to a position. This part isn't unlike any other job application you've ever done, honestly. You'll be putting in your name and your number and contact info and answering a few questions here and there, and of course, sending along your resume and maybe a cover letter. That in and of itself isn't too abnormal. Now, of course, there's conversations to be had about how to style your cover letter and your resume and stuff like that, and honestly, that one is pretty much up to your discretion. Personally, I try to go for a one-page resume, which showcases my biggest projects and my most used languages and technologies and stuff like that. And some other people I know have multi-page resumes, which go into just great, deep detail on every project they've ever worked on. And I think both are entirely valid. It mainly depends on what you prefer. However, there is one thing that I will suggest having in place before you even submit your first application, though. 
That is to put together a portfolio. Now, I put mine together on my own personal site, which, you know, if you really wanted to find, you could probably get there and check it out, but I won't advertise it here. But anyways, the thing is, for me, that whole site hosts my portfolio, but it is also a part of my portfolio because I made it as a project. It is an open source project on GitHub that anyone can contribute to, or they can pull it down and use it to put together their own portfolio site just by kind of finding and replacing some values in a configuration document. The site itself is, if you navigate to it, more like a detailed resume that I mentioned before, like going into deeper detail of all the projects that I've ever worked on. And, you know, show some of the companies I've worked with uh, and a bunch of code bases that folks can check out if they so desire. Now, the reason I'm making such a point about having a portfolio together is that the people looking at your application want to know that you have and can actually make things. It's easy to have our resume say something like, oh, I'm good at C++ and TypeScript and .NET and Go and Kubernetes and machine learning and AI and the blockchain and, you know, whatever. But the thing is, it means a lot more if you can show that that's true. When I was doing hiring, people who would put together portfolios tended to get further because it took us less digging to see that they knew what they were doing. Now, for applicants without a portfolio, they could still get further, but if we wanted proof of their coding ability, we ourselves would have to dig through their LinkedIn and personal sites and GitHubs and the like. But if you can have it all in one place, we know that you're taking the process and your own work seriously. Even better is if you can have a portfolio that includes the actual code that you wrote in order to make these things that you're showcasing. That way, we can take a look and see your coding style and get an idea of how you put things together. That gives us so much clearer of a picture of who you are as a developer and often makes getting you past that application phase much smoother than if you didn't have one. So yeah, that's the one thing I'm really going to recommend that you do even before sending in your first application. Portfolios are great. For what it's worth, if you are a newer developer and you're going for your first job, like maybe a junior position, and you feel like the things that you have developed haven't been particularly impressive or you just don't have a ton of them, that's totally fine. We just want to see that you make things. They don't have to be extraordinarily complicated works of art. They can just be projects. They can be things that you've made when you were learning a new language or you know stuff that you've made in a class or whatever. Just you having made the effort to showcase some of the stuff that you've made is more than enough for us to get an idea of who you are and make notes about your strengths. Because remember, bear this in mind, we want to hire you. We aren't looking at these applications as a way to critique or belittle or be rude to anyone. We are looking for people that we want on our team. And of course, that means that we'll be looking for people who are proficient at coding, sure, but we're also looking for people who enjoy what they do and for people who have a personality that we'll ultimately get along with. Because, you know, if we're hiring you, ostensibly we're ready and happy to say, yeah, you'll be working with us for years and years and years. Uh, and you would be surprised just how much of that we can glean from a thoughtfully put together portfolio. But of course, for us to get the cleanest and clearest picture possible of you, then we will have to be asking you in for an interview.
That brings us to the core of this episode's conversation. What happens in those interviews? What kinds of things will you be asked? Are there strategies for how you can do well when you're in a coding interview? How do you actually prepare for them? Uh, There are many, many valid questions to ask. And honestly, that's probably because there's a lot of mystery to coding interviews. So I'm going to start by saying that, yeah, if you don't have any idea of what you're in for, they're very, very, very stressful. Not knowing exactly what you need to prepare for and just also being put in that hot seat with a spotlight shone directly on you is strenuous. It's strenuous in any job interview, in any field, of course, but coding is especially tough because there are just so many facets that you could be asked about in any interview. They could be front-end questions, back-end ones, database ones, system design ones, etc. Like, you just don't know what you're in for. But again, please remember that we do the interviews in part to get a feel for who you are with your personality and just your fit with the team. But yes, unfortunately, the coding proficiency is also a part of it. And it's a big part of it. We need to know that you can code and that you know what you're talking about. So indeed, coding is going to be a part of the interview. Now, there are a bunch of ways that this can happen. One of the most common that you'll run into these days is something which has been popularized by what we call the FANG companies. F-A-N-G. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. These tech giants, along with others like Apple and Microsoft, have a very rigorous interview process, which is meant to float the most capable candidates straight to the top. Now, The thing is that these big companies, these fang ones, the huge ones, they have their pick of the litter. They can afford to let some qualified candidates go as like a false negative, so long as they always hire the cream of the crop. For better or for worse, and honestly I'd often say for worse, a lot of smaller companies have taken inspiration from these these fang companies and have started adopting that same interview style. So that means that you might still have to go through something really rigorous and intense with regards to interviews, even for a smaller company like a startup, which, yeah, that's going to be pretty much just as stressful as if you're interviewing for one of the big ones. Again, I'm personally not a fan of that. And honestly, I don't think there are many people who are fans of it, but it's kind of just the reality of our industry. So let's get you prepared for a little bit. What is going to be involved with these Fang style interviews? Well, they usually start by asking you some pretty standard interview questions. You know, who you are, give us some examples of what you've worked on, some of the challenges you've faced. Hey, what are some of the things you're good at? What are some of the things you're not good at? What's a project that you're really proud of? You know, things like that. They're questions that you'd largely be ready for with any interview in any industry. That part is not too stressful. The part that is stressful is the coding part. And... One of the ways they do that is the dreaded whiteboard interview. For what it's worth, you might not actually use a whiteboard. Uh, It kind of depends on where you're interviewing, like if you're in person or if you're remote, whatever. The concept is always the same. You will be asked to solve some kind of problem, and you'll be expected to write your solution out. Again, could be on a whiteboard, could be in an IDE, could be on a piece of paper, could be on your arm with a sharpie probably not really but you know whatever 
For these whiteboard interviews, you can generally use whatever language you're comfortable with, and sometimes even pseudocode, with pseudocode being quote-unquote not real code. So rather than using real exact syntax, you'll instead say like, oh, I'll do an if statement here, and then if that's true, it'll do this, and if not, we'll do that, that kind of stuff. So not real code, just the logic. But in some cases, the interviewer might ask you to use a specific language, but in my experience, you are generally allowed to use whatever you're most comfortable with. So hopefully that eases a little bit of stress. But when it comes to the problems you'll be asked to solve, that part's a bit more tricky because those are almost never easy. Sometimes they might look kind of simple on the surface, but they're going to be tricky in practice once you actually start trying to implement your answers. But almost always, they're going to be questions which will truly put your abilities to the test. Rather than walking you through a bunch of these questions and solutions, I instead want to kind of give you a couple of pieces of advice for what to do when you're actually there and in the moment with your interviewer or interviewers uh, and how to have the whole process go as smoothly as possible. So the first thing that I'll say is that you should never, ever, ever ever start by just writing code like seriously don't (laughs) even if you feel like you have a decent idea of how to solve the problem do not start by writing code right away like i can't emphasize this enough the first thing you should do is ask your interviewer questions okay so let's say that the question they give you for this interview is uh you'll be given ten thousand names and then they ask you to find the most common first name Okay, there it is. Sure. You could start by writing your variables and your functions and all that to begin, but again, that's truly, truly not what you want to do. (laughs) Don't start by writing code. You want to start by asking your interviewer questions. Things like, what format will they be coming in as? Like, how will they be stored? Is it going to be an array? Is it going to be a giant object? Is it going to be an array of giant objects? Is it going to be from a database? Will all of the names that you're getting in, will they be in English characters? Will they be in Japanese? Will there be special characters? Will will there be numbers? Will some of these names be blank? Will all of the names be blank? Like, you're going to want to ask questions like these because you want to make sure that you know exactly what you're working with because they are going to try and trick you with these questions. The questions will appear simple, but there's always stuff beneath the surface that they want to know that you're checking out and that you're thinking about. So cover your bases, ask these kinds of questions, and as an added bonus, you're not going to have to write extraneous code for things like error checking if you can guarantee from your interviewer that those errors will never exist. If you know you're never going to get a blank name, you're never going to have to handle that, that, uh, that case. So if you've coded before, you will know these as edge cases and it's super important to eliminate as many edge cases as possible as early as possible. Okay, so once you feel clear on what is coming in, you should also clarify what will be coming out. So your input and your output. In our example, we're looking for a single name as our output, right? We're looking for the most popular name. Okay, cool. So that means at the end, we can probably just return a string, right? Well, let me let me let, let me let you in on a little secret here. The question they ask you is always going to be part 1 to another question. So if you nail part 1, it's it's not suddenly over. The coding interview part of it is not 
done. It's possible that they're going to ask you to return something else now, like the top five names in order of popularity. Well, that means you can't just return the string now. That means that it should be an array, which also means that you're going to have to change how your answer is being populated and so on and so forth. So you want to be thinking ahead. You want to optimize and you want to come up with a solution that will hold water. But at the same time, you don't want to over-design. You want to think things through from start to finish, which is why you should never start by writing the code. (laughs) Um, But yes, you want to think things through from start to finish. And that means you need to think about what steps you'll need to take from your input and turning it into your desired output. You really do want to think it through. But know what? It's not about just thinking it through. You want to talk it through. You want to vocalize it. You want to make sure that you have a thorough understanding of what the interviewer is asking you for and talk through your solution. You know, say, first I'm going to do this and then I'll take that from this and apply this other data structure to it. And then once that's finished, I'll accumulate how many of these there are and then take the top result and then return that. So that way, like, I really gave you an extremely bad pseudocode solution, but you know, it's you're talking through it with them before you ever put your pen on the paper, as it were. So if you say that, like if you talk through your solution, then the interviewer might have an opportunity to ask you something like, hey, what about that second step? What exactly are you doing there? Because it's possible that they'll notice something that is going to be a gotcha later. Or maybe you have some logic that is just wrong. So if you're talking through it, that means our interviewer can step in and kind of nudge you in the right direction. Uh, So yeah, that just brings me to another point, which is just, just always talk out loud. Always put your full thought process out there. Even if you know you're going uh, going down the wrong path, talk it out. If you aren't talking, we cannot read your mind. We are relying on you to convey what you're thinking so that if, for example, you're misunderstanding what we're actually expecting, then we can get you back on track. And honestly, that's not a bad thing. Don't be stressed if you're going down the wrong path. We want to make sure that you're on the right path. And again, we will never know what you're thinking unless you talk it out. So... That means there are now two rules that I'm going to say you should always bear in mind, which is first, say it with me, never start by writing code. (laughs) And then the second rule is to always be vocalizing your thoughts. So another reason you'll want to be vocalizing like this is that coding and perhaps kind of counterintuitively for some people is an extremely social job. We are constantly needing to communicate with other people. That can be our own teammates who are working on, like, let's say, another part of the code that we'll need to interface later at some point. You know, we need to be able to communicate with them and say, yep, okay, I'm working on this and that, and we'll talk later, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it could be QA, who's going to ask us questions about the code we wrote. It can be our managers. They can be our users. You know, sometimes we're going to have to be able to convey super complicated ideas in fairly simple language, depending on who our audience is. No matter the case, communication is absolutely key, and it is of utmost importance that you are properly communicating within your interview. So ask the right questions, uh, get and give clarity, talk through your thought process, and if you get stuck, 
know that it's okay to ask for a little bit of help. You know, maybe don't say, can I have a hint? But you could do something like, um, I think this is how this works, but I'm having a bit of trouble getting from X to Y. Uh, do you have any tips for this? You know, something like that. Now, let's get back to our actual interview. We've asked our questions. We've talked through our solution. And now we feel comfortable knowing what we want and need to implement. So now we implement it. This is where we start writing our code. <laughs> um, how you choose to do it, what language you use, you know, all those kinds of details, that's totally up to you. You can use a functional coding language, object-oriented, class-based, whatever, and you just do whatever you're comfortable with. But make sure that everything that you're writing has purpose. Do not write code that will never be used. This is why we talk through it. If you end up with some kind of function or method that doesn't get you from your input to your desired output, like it's just kind of hanging out there and it's never touched, including that would be a bad thing, especially during an interview. You want your code to be as efficient as possible because you want to be done writing it as fast as you can, but you also want it to be right. And that's the difficult balance is you want it to be fast and get it out there, but you also want it to be good. So getting it done and working quickly means that you can get to, you know, part two of whatever question they might have in mind, or maybe even part three if you're doing really well. But bear in mind, the interviewer will always have new challenges for you. And honestly, they're going to be happy and excited to add those new wrinkles because that means you're doing well. So again, just always remember, your interviewer wants you to do well. They're there as a friend, not a foe. They want you to succeed. So let's spin the chessboard around a little bit here and approach this from the interviewer's perspective. So again, I'm going to keep reiterating this. It's really worth remembering that we do not want you to fail at all. We want to hire you. We're looking for the person that we'll be excited to invite onto our team. Now, we know that there's a lot of anxiety that comes from being put in the hot seat to have that spotlight pointed at you and to ask you to perform at the best of your abilities under pressure. We know it sucks. We know that you're probably not using the tools you're used to and that we're asking you to do complicated things without, you know, you didn't know exactly what to prepare for and that you're probably going to be doing it in a way you're not used to or, you know, maybe it's not the way you would do it if you were just at home or on the job. Like maybe you look at a problem and you go for a 20 minute walk and you can't do this here. We know, we know, we know it sucks, but truly we still want you to succeed. We want to be a resource for you. Like, like I said, no one enjoys doing coding interviews. No one. They're stressful. They're exhausting. You're probably going to want to cry sometimes. And we understand. We get it. We have been on your side of the table too. And we aim to be your ally in these interviews. So don't hesitate to ask for clarification, to ask for a hand if you need it. Also, by the way, show us you. Have a sense of humor. Talk the way you would talk as if you were working with us, though maybe filter out the swearing for now. <laughs> but learning about who you are is also one of the reasons that we want you to talk through your process. Of course, we're looking at the coding proficiency, of course, but we don't really want to bring a robot onto the team. We want to know what kind of personality we'd be working with. And, you know, 
who you are and the things you enjoy. But okay, let's spin the chessboard back around again one more time and get us back to being in the hot seat. So it should be noted that not all coding interviews are going to be that whiteboard interview format. Personally, when I did interviews, I made a point to avoid doing whiteboard interviews as much as possible because I know how much I don't like doing them and I never want to inflict that on anyone else. So if you don't like the idea of it, hey, you better hope you're getting me as an interviewer. (laughs) Um, But a couple other common ways to do coding interviews uh, will either be what is essentially a take-home exam, which is where we'll ask you to kind of take some complicated problem usually pretty complicated, and uh, write the code and then submit it back to us. Or asking you to take some project that you've written and walk us through it, with us being able to kind of ask you to dissect any part of the code that you're talking about at any given point. So I personally, as an interviewee, as someone being interviewed, I enjoy both of these way more because... You know, like a take-home project means you can tackle it in a comfortable location in the way you would do it with your 20-minute walk and things like that and your usual tool set. But uh, one thing to bear in mind, there is also a balance to these in kind of ensuring that they're not so ultra-complicated that they, you know, we don't want them to take you dozens of hours to complete. That would be truly unfair. And, you know, especially because... In a lot of places, people generally aren't being paid to do these uh, take-home exams. Some places do, but not all of them. Um, But as an interviewee, as someone being interviewed, again, I'd still much prefer doing this to the traditional whiteboard. So again, that's just speaking for me, even if it does take a long time. (laughs) And the second method, walking through your own projects, that one's great because you know them well. And you can take that opportunity to really shine a light on your strengths and that you can create things. And Honestly, if you do end up in one of these situations, it's a really good thing to highlight your weaknesses too, because that shows that you've learned from your mistakes and that you're open and willing to grow. So um, for some context and for what it's worth, I would say that whiteboard interviews are probably the most common that you'll encounter. Like, I don't want to say nine times out of 10, but we'll say the majority of the time and These other ones, the take-home and the walkthrough, they do exist, but it really comes down to where you're interviewing and who is interviewing you. But no matter the method used in the interview, you should always be ready for the whiteboard. So let's focus on that for a second. How do you prepare for this? How do you practice? What do you practice? There are a lot of hard questions about that, but I'm just going to kind of outline some resources that are going to be there to help you out with a few that I can personally recommend from experience. So when it comes to websites to help you practice, one I'll very much recommend is called Leet Code, L-E-E-T Code. It is a huge collection of example problems, and the site itself will give you the ability to write your code directly in the browser. Then when you're done, you can have it checked, and that way you can see if you got it right. If not, it'll tell you what the error is and you can fix it. And then if you do get it right, it's not only going to tell you that it got it right, it's going to tell you how efficient your code is. And by efficient, I mean uh, how complex it is, how much time it is taking to complete. And that's something I didn't really talk about much. But yes, the efficiency of your code does matter. The time complexity of your code does matter. 
Oftentimes, the questions that you will be asked do have a pretty obvious brute force approach for their solution, but there's pretty much always going to be a more elegant and efficient solution that we're hoping that you'll find. By practicing on sites like LeetCode, you will train yourself in how to see these more elegant solutions to just look beyond that initial uh, brute force way to look for the efficient, elegant ones. They also, on LeetCode, break the questions up into various concepts that you'll want to practice because, oh man, there's a lot of them. So remember our last episode, which was about primitives and data structures? Yeah, you're going to want to make sure that you know how to use all of those and also when to use them. Because you're going to want to practice your data structures, you're going to want to practice algorithms that go along with them and how to effectively use them, as well as kind of just the methods and functions and built-in tools available to you in your language of choice. If you're doing it in person on a whiteboard and you're doing it in a specific language, you won't be able to check out documentation or Stack Overflow or whatever to remind yourself how some method works or what's available to you You'll want to know that. You'll want to make sure that you have that internalized. And LeetCode is a great tool for all of this. You can do things like setting yourself a timer, because remember, all interviews will be constrained within a time limit. So uh, it's a good thing to get yourself used to that. And you know, challenge yourself to come up with a solution without looking up external resources. Come up with an answer, check it out, and then with the LeetCode community, you can see how other people solve the same problem. Or uh, they also have things like uh, video solutions that will walk through the concepts. Either way, LeetCode is great. Very much recommended. But speaking of you know other people and communities, another way that I would recommend preparing for the coding interview is mock interviews. So this can mean doing mock interviews of your own, like asking another developer to interview you or uh, there are some services that do this, but something I think that is super valuable and also free is going to a site like YouTube and watching other people go through mock interviews. Be a fly on their wall. Note the things that these people do well and that you know you can learn from, as well as the things that they could improve on. Like for example, if they're not talking and you're kind of having a hard time following what they're doing, yeah, just bear in mind that you should improve on that when it's your turn. Or if they're really quick at coming up with a solution for the question, like much faster than you would have, well, keep watching. Jot down their solution and see if you can reverse engineer it at the end. So, you know, that way it's in your back pocket in case a similar question comes up. There's just tons and tons of videos like these, and they're great. Uh, I'm really glad they exist out there and that people are taking the time to put them there because it's just such a wonderful resource for devs who are also preparing for interviews and they just kind of give you some clarity on what to expect when you're going to be in the spotlight. And for one other thing, if books are more your speed, a very popular book is called Cracking the Coding Interview, which is written by Gail McDowell. Now she's been a developer at Microsoft, Apple, and Google, and she wrote the book as a way to provide just tons of insight into the whole process that we were just talking about before. Whiteboard interviews, FANG interviews, uh, those questions where you should be asking questions to the interviewer, blah, 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 blah. It is a fantastic book with just a ton of examples to work through. And for what it's worth, it's by no means a light book. I think it's like seven or 800 pages, but 
it's really, really, really well done and just an excellent resource if you do want to do that kind of deep dive on preparation. Lastly, if I can offer some advice from my own experience, again, coming from both ends as an interviewer and the interviewee, just truly be yourself. Don't start by writing code. <laughs> Always be talking when it comes to the actual coding part, but enjoy it. Enjoy the coding interview. I know they're stressful and they suck, but they're also kind of exciting. So one last thing that I want to talk about is don't beat yourself up, especially if you make mistakes or if you don't get the job. I've interviewed people who were excellent coders and just wonderful personalities, but it just happened that they weren't a good fit for the role or the project that we were hiring for at that exact moment. Like maybe they were brilliant backend engineers, but we really needed a brilliant front end one. It happens. Not getting the job doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't even necessarily mean you messed up. It's as much about timing as it is about fit and ability. And hey, if you did mess up, use it as a learning opportunity. We learn just so much from our failures, much more than our successes, in my opinion. And yeah, I, I would say um, if you have some time, Adam Savage of Tested and Mythbusters fame has a great talk on the value of failure. Uh, I'll make sure to put a link to it in the show notes of this episode. And yeah, totally recommend giving it a watch. As he says in that video, failure is always an option. So it is one that we always grow from. So don't beat yourself up. With that, my friends, we have been brought to the end of this episode of Coding Fix. I hope it has been useful and maybe even slightly insightful about some tiny aspect of coding interviews that maybe you weren't privy to before. If you have any feedback or if there's anything you want expanded upon or maybe hear about in the future, please always feel free to send a message to coding at fix.space, coding at fyx.space, or reach out on Twitter, which is at Fix Podcast. And also, if you have a few extra minutes, please consider leaving the show a review on your platform of choice. It helps a ton to get the show in front of more people, and it makes me smile. <laughs> I love reading reviews. And lastly, hey, if you're into games, check out our sister podcast over at Gaming Fix, where I'm also a host. But no matter the case, thanks again for listening. It is super appreciated. And I hope you have a great day.